Luke chapter 12, or chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. Let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do come before thee this morning and give thee thanks for thy word. And we ask that thou wouldst come by the power and the working of thy spirit. That your spirit would indeed anoint the one who preaches. That your spirit would anoint thy people that they might receive this word. We pray that if there are some here this morning who have not trusted in Christ, that they would find hope in him this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We live in a day when we hear and we often pray for believers who are persecuted throughout the world. As you see the things that are happening in the Sudan, as you see the things that are happening in parts of Africa and throughout Asia, the Middle East, we see intense persecution happening in all the nations of the earth. We see persecution even happening here in the United States. Christians who have stood firm for their faith their allegiance in Jesus Christ, and yet they are persecuted. They are ridiculed for their faith. And yet persecution is nothing new. For as the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, there's nothing new under the sun. And as we come to our passage here this morning, we find the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ finding themselves facing the persecution, the ridicule that comes to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in chapter 21, and we will uh, unpack all of this in the weeks to come, there's a lot of things happening here, but Luke chapter 21 
is a parallel to the Olivet Discourse found in Matthew chapter 24. Now in Matthew's account, there it's a little different. There's more things that are said than what Luke states here. But Luke is speaking to the disciples as they have, have observed that beautiful temple there in verse 4 of chapter 21. And as they have seen those beautiful and goodly stones and gifts there in the temple. Jesus looks and says, behold, the days are coming in which one stone of that temple will not be left. It will all be thrown down. And then the disciples begin to ask a very important question. Master, but when shall we see these things? And what will be the sign that these things shall come to pass? Now when you look at the passage and you see this in Matthew as well. Jesus is telling them this temple that you see now will be thrown down. Every stone of this temple will be brought down. And immediately the disciples asked two questions, as we saw last week. Master, when will these things be? And secondly, what will be the sign that these things shall come to pass? And so Jesus here is showing them that these things will occur before 70 A.D., and that in 70 A.D., God would bring down the temple and bring an end to the Jewish age. And then would usher in the days of the Gentiles. And so that's the, that's the framework that we operate in. That is the context here. But then the other question is, what will be the signs that these things are beginning to happen? And so Jesus begins to lay out those signs. We saw sign last week that there will be many false Christs and antichrists who will come and say they are Christ and he warns them not to go after them. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations. Kingdoms shall rise against kingdoms. There will be great earthquakes and famine and pestilence in the land. Jesus says in verse 12, But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you. Jesus is beginning to show them the signs of the end of the Jewish era. That time when Jerusalem would be laid in waste. What better way to bring an end of the Jewish age than to remove the temple, the very place of worship. And yet as Jesus describes these things, it's just going to be in a very few short days that Jesus would lay down his own body, that he would destroy his own temple, and in three days raise it again. And so one of those signs that we see in that age in which the apostles lived is the prediction that persecution will come. 
Now he states it there in verse 12. Before these previous signs of nations rising against nations, which was happening in the first century, of earthquakes and, and uh, pestilence and famine, those things were already happening. But he says, before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you. Jesus here reminds his disciples that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will not perhaps or maybe, but will suffer persecution. And that's what he's talking about. The persecution will intensify, but it will come. That is one of the marks of that first century age that they would see the beginnings of these things. And as Jesus reminds them that they would face um, persecution, that they would be delivered, we find there particularly in verse 12 something that is often overlooked, that they will deliver you up to the synagogues and into the prisons being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. We must see here that Jesus tells his disciples, those 12 men, that they will face conflict and persecution. How is it that we can think as Christians, oh, well, we don't have to worry about persecution. Persecution only happens in the Sudan. Persecution only happens in Africa and other places doesn't happen here but oh friends it happens all over Jesus tells his disciples there in the upper room in the gospel of John that before he leaves he reminds them that you will face persecution you will face trial in this world but Jesus says be of good cheer for I have overcome the world and one of the points in Mark's gospel, and I think this is so important, it's short gospel. It is a message that all who follow Christ will suffer persecution. They too will be suffering servants. In the, um, per, in the book of Isaiah there, the prophet, the major prophet, talks about the suffering servant coming. There it describes the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a suffering servant. But all who follow Christ Jesus, Mark tells us, are suffering servants as well. And friends, we need to, to have that etched in our minds. We need to be reminded of that as we look at this passage. That persecution comes to the followers of Christ. It comes in degrees. It comes in many ways. But Jesus gives us a glimpse of it here. But he says you will face persecution from the synagogues. We've already seen that here in chapter 19 and 20. That Jesus faced the ridicule of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel. The disciples faced that as well. And so we need to see that that persecution will come. 
it is very, very rare for the world to love us as its own. It is very rare for the world to smile upon us because the world despises Christians because they despise the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't be surprised when they hate you, for they hated him. But they will persecute you by delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Now some will take verse 12 and immediately run two, three thousand years ahead and say, oh, this is what's happening now. Well, again, these are events that are happening in the life of these disciples. Because when you go to the book of Acts, which is where we are going next, when you see there in the history of the church, what were happening to the apostles? They were being cast into prison. The church was praying for them, and in one account, the the bars of the prison cell were shaken, and they were released. And so you see the, the, um, the disciples cast into prison. You see them being brought before kings and, and rulers. They were brought before kings and rulers. Why do you preach in this name? You cannot continue to preach in the name of Christ. And so they were, they were standing there. Remember that wonderful account? I love that account there in Acts, closing of the book of Acts, where, where Paul the Apostle is standing before King Agrippa. And he is there pleading and laying out the arguments and the terms of the gospel before this civil magistrate. And he says to Paul, Thou hast almost persuaded me. And so this is the reality of the world in which they lived in. But he says, this will all occur for my glory, for my name's sake. And he also mentions that they will be betrayed in verse 16 by their parents and by their brethren and kinfolks and friends. And some of you they shall cause to be put to death. I know in my own life, the greatest persecution I have suffered was when I came to Christ as a young teenager, about 17. And as I came to Christ and, and found myself at odds with, with my immediate family, even some even today, because of my stand for Christ. And yet he reminds them that even their own family will betray them, their kinfolks. Ye shall be hated, verse 17. The word hated, there's a strong word. They shall hate you because of my name. Well, saints of God, there's a beautiful verse there in verse 17. They sh and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. This is the, this is the lot of those disciples. And so he reminds them of these things. The history of the Christian church proves this point as well. These are only the beginnings of what will take place. 
These are not signs just for the end of the age. These are signs for the end of the Jewish age. And they are signs as well for the end of the Gentile age that will come at the end of this life, of this earthly life here. And yet Jesus says, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Oh, saints of God, don't ever think it beneath you to be hated even by your own family for the name of Christ. Wear that name proudly. Wear that name without hypocrisy. Wear that name in sincerity, but love the name of Christ and always testify to his saving mercy and grace. So he reminds them that persecution will come. It will come for all of the children of God. All who live godly, the scripture says, shall suffer persecution. But here we see not only the prediction that Jesus gave that persecution would come, but we also see the opportunity and the provision that the Lord will provide in the midst of persecution. He says it there in verses 12 through 15 that when you're hauled into court, when you stand before kings and magistrates, you will be given opportunity to speak. We will always be given opportunities to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here Paul or here particularly we see the opportunities that are given to the apostles to speak. Paul the apostle there in Acts spoke. We see Stephen the first Christian martyr speaking in Acts chapter 7. We see Paul the apostle persecuted. Ironic that Paul was a Jew who persecuted Christians and then when he was converted now Paul no longer persecutes Christians, but he himself bears persecution as well. Jesus was preparing his disciples for that time of great persecution. He was preparing them so that they would not be caught off guard and, and, and say, well, we, Master, we weren't expecting this. We didn't sign up for this. Because Jesus is calling men and women to discipleship and particularly for these extraordinary men who were called to plant the church in that first century and to proclaim Christ. They particularly needed to bear that not only that persecution but understand what it is to face persecution. But how often the Lord's Servants, not only in that first century, but in other ages, have stood firm with a mouth filled with wisdom. See the life of Samuel Rutherford, Scottish Covenanter in about 1660, who was not long for this world. He was coming to the end of his life. His body was wasting away. He had given literally his body in service for Christ and now his body was frail and near the end of his earthly life. And those 
Scottish magistrates and rulers wanted to seize him. And so they ordered him to appear in Edinburgh to face a charge of high treason. This is Rutherford's answer. Tell them, I have got a summons already before a superior judge and judicatory, and I behoove to answer my first summons, and ere your day arrive, I will be where few kings and great folks will ever come. One other account of King James the sixth in 1596. He was indeed a godless king. He was venting and complaining about Christians and particularly complaining against Presbyterians. And Andrew Melville respectfully but bluntly told him, you are not the head of the church. You cannot give us eternal life which we seek. For even in this world, you cannot deprive us of it. And here in both of those accounts, we see the wisdom that is given in times of persecution. We see the testimony that is turned for Christ. And there in verse 13, he says, that persecution you will experience, he will turn it to you for a testimony. We must never think that a Christian does not have a testimony. Every believer in Christ has a testimony. But we should not be ashamed to bear the name and to bear the scars of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they give testimony to that, we see so many examples. But notice here in the passage that the opportunity comes for them to open their mouth. And Jesus had told them in John's gospel that in that hour, he would give them what they would need to say. And so they don't need to think before time, what, what are we going to say? Perhaps you've been in that situation many, many times. I've never had to think what to say. I just say, I cannot. But speak of this one who's given me life. And we must use that opportunity as well. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to think before what you will answer. Verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom Notice here, all of your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. Even in those times, whatever you say, we've seen it with Samuel Rutherford, we saw it with, with Mr. Melville, that the words will come and they will not be able to resist them. Jesus found that in his own life as he stands before those religious leaders. He silenced them. They could not resist. They sought to kill him on many occasions. But there's one other 
thing we see here, not only the opportunity arises, but the provision that the Lord gives. Notice what he says there in verse 18. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. Now, we need to think about that for a moment. That many of the disciples died a horrible death. All of the disciples died a martyr's death except for John. And he was banished where? To some little island called Patmos in the middle of the, of, the, of the sea. And yet all of these disciples faced cruel death. So how could Jesus say, not a hair of your head shall perish? How is that the case? But many will give their life for Christ even unto death. But what verse 18 is saying that ultimately the true followers of Christ will never lose anything. We may lose things in this earthly life by, like property or life. But Jesus has reminded us that we are not to fear the one who can kill both, who can kill the body. But we're to fear the one who can kill both body and soul and cast it into hell. And so we don't need to fear the loss of life or property. For Jesus says, there are many who have given up houses and lands for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. And so, yes, you're, you may not have much hair left sometime. And yet, the promise is not that he will not allow someone to touch your hair, but the promise is that ultimately nothing shall be lost for the believer. Because the promise of that life that is to come is far greater than the life in this world. And so here we find the opportunity, but the provision that the Lord provides. We are reminded that the Lord protects his own. We pray that the Lord would protect us from the evil one. We pray that the Lord would give us faith. And he gives us faith. He protects us in those times of great persecution. But we find, thirdly, the need for patient endurance. We find it here in verse 19. In your patience, possess your souls. Verse 19 tells us that we are to bear patiently under affliction. James in chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. And patience, hope. And so in those persecutions and trials that come, it strengthens our faith and it works in us great patience. The believer under great tribulation and persecution 
finds and it strengthens his patience. His patience in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here Jesus reminds his disciples, he reminds us that we learn to suffer for Christ. For through it, we learn patience. Richard Siebes, in his wonderful work, A Bruised Reed, says that suffering yields a bruising that enables us to prize Christ above all things. Samuel Rutherford, in his sufferings, of which we've already seen a little bit, in his sufferings saw Christ as his pearl. Christ had become so precious to Samuel Rutherford, that he refused to exchange the joy of his bonds and imprisonment for Christ with all the joys of this dirty and foul-skinned world. Oh, believer, whatever persecution we face, we do it with joy because we will not exchange the joy of the bonds that we have in Christ for all of the joy of this dirty and fallen world. In suffering for Christ, we learn to treasure him more. God indeed is sovereign over all of our afflictions as we have seen in the life of Jonah. Our suffering, though, produces a sweet submission to the providence of God. We have many trials in life, and sometimes we don't bear them well. But in the midst of persecution, we submit to the sweet providence of the Lord. Friends, we must learn to be content as the apostles were called to be content and cast off all of our fretting thoughts of God's holy purpose. Hebrews says Jesus learned obedience through what? The things he suffered. We are not simply to put up with affliction. That's the mindset of some, that old Victorian view. Well, just give that stiff upper lip, bear up. That's not the thought of, of patient endurance. The thought of patient endurance is not simply putting up with it, but bearing patiently and enduring for the sake of Christ. John Gill, the great Baptist preacher, says, Bear patiently under affliction. And let nothing disturb your peace or joy. Jesus reminds us that no man can steal your joy. There is a need for endurance. And in it we must, Jesus says, possess our souls. And so when he speaks of having patience, possessing your souls, he's saying that in your affliction, learn to be patient. Learn to wait upon the Lord so that your souls might be kept. We have a holy duty 
to bear patiently under persecution and affliction. And we are not to give way to anger. We are not to give way to grief or worry or impatience. We must guard our souls. Paul faced persecution with great endurance. He said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I finished the course, and I have kept the faith. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give on that day. Now these are the beginnings of the sorrows of which Jesus spoke up. The persecution, the famine, the pestilence, all of this that was occurring before the destruction of, of Jerusalem was a reminder to them that their ministry would not be a settled ministry. That their ministry would not be one that was filled with, with happiness and joy and, and, and all of that and pleasure. That their ministry would be one of great contention, great strife. And Christians need to understand that in this world, nothing is settled. In this world, nothing is, is, um, stays the way it should. It seems like things are always in turmoil. But for the believer in the midst of turmoil, we need to have that constant endurance. It comes not from our strength. Oh, don't get the impression that these apostles were some great men who had lots of strength. No, some of the most needy saints have all the patient endurance that they need. And so we can face that persecution well because Jesus Christ faced it. And so we too should face it well. The apostles in the book of Acts is a great commentary. And what we find here in verses 11 through 19. That as they faced persecution, they found consolation. They found strength. They found hope in the midst of persecution. And we too will find that as well. Because this is what Jesus calls the beginning of sorrows. That they will indeed face great persecution. John Calvin says that God calls us to a different way of defending our lives as opposed to a fleshly and carnal way. No man will commit himself to the Lord rightly unless he has learned to prepare to die. And you know what? We must be ready to face death. Never thought of that before until recently, but, but John Calvin is right. We must face persecution. And if we are not preparing ourselves to die and face that persecution, then we won't rightly learn how to face it. Because the strength and the patience that we need doesn't come, as I've already said, in ourselves. 
but it comes from the power and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he's speaking to the apostles of those things that are about to occur, he reminds us that that is the beginning of what will happen throughout the age until Christ returns. Pilgrim, this is not your home. We are just travelers on a journey toward that celestial city. Jesus is our shepherd, the one who will give us all that we need as we travel through that journey. I don't know what persecution we will face. I think we need to remember, though, as Christians, not to put our hope and trust and confidences in men, whatever political party they belong to, whoever they claim they are. We must put our confidence and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with those wonderful words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 8. He begins there by saying, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, that has risen, who is at the right hand of the Father, who make intercession for us. And then Paul concludes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written in the Old Testament, For thy sake we are killed all the day long, and we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul covers all of the things in time and space that we could face. And yet none of those things separate us from the love of Christ. Oh, saints, let us see in times of persecution that Christ is our pearl. Let us see in times of persecution that his sweet grace keeps us that his sweet grace preserves us. And in the end, we will see, receive the wonderful crown of glory that awaits us for following Christ. For one day, all of those who have persecuted the disciples and the saints of all the ages will face the fury God's eternal wrath. You're sitting here this morning. Is your hope and your confidence in this one who died and who was raised again for the salvation of sinners? Are you looking to Christ in hope for all that you need? Are you looking to him for hope for this life and for the life to come? Oh, I would call you today and urge you 
to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and find in him a gracious Savior. Find in him one who will give us every provision, every protection, every strength that we need in times of persecution. But no saints of God and no one can ever bring any charge against God's elect. And that the Lord Jesus Christ promises us that even in the midst of our normal everyday life in this fallen world, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you do not know Christ today, I would urge you and plead with you to speak to me or one of the elders afterwards so that we might make certain that you have that life that Christ promises. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks for thy mercies. We thank thee that thou in thy kind condescension came down to us to give us life. We pray that as we face persecution, as we face hardship for the cause of Christ, we pray that we might bear it well. We pray that we might wear the name of Christ proudly. The name that has been given to our children in baptism. That name that we profess when we stand and make that public profession of faith. That name that we give testimony to every day of our lives. May we wear that name. May we have all the patience and endurance we need in times of persecution. O Lord, bless thy people. And I pray that even today, that if some do not know Christ, that thou wouldst indeed have mercy upon their souls. We ask ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.